Welcome back to the Our Voices podcast feed. I'm Freddie Stewart. The recording you're about to listen to here is an interview myself and Aaron White conducted with Alex Morse, the current mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts, and a progressive candidate running to be the Democratic nominee in Massachusetts' first congressional district. In doing so, Morse is seeking to oust long-serving Democratic incumbent Representative Richard Neal, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and one of the most powerful and established voices in DC politics. This district is critical to the progressive movement, and Morse's campaign has received backing from organisations such as Justice Democrats and the Sunrise Movement. We met with him in his hometown of Holyoke back in February to discuss his upcoming congressional race and unpack the pillars of his progressive platform. I began by asking him about his politicisation at a young age and how he came to be the mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts at the age of just 22 years old. First and foremost was my like upbringing here in the city of Holyoke and my personal experience growing up here in a place like Holyoke. You grew up here and... You know, people have this quiet resignation for the way things were. We were once one of the most successful, thriving manufacturing cities in the entire country. We were the paper city. We at one point had the most millionaires per capita in the entire United States. And then when I grew up, you know, factories were closing, high crime, struggling public schools. And we had a city that worked well for some people and, and not well for everyone else. And so growing up in that backdrop and also seeing that we had the same people in office, in elected office, year after year, decade after decade, no active democracy or civic engagement, it just bothered me as someone that was starting to take an interest in government and politics. And so for me, it was, you know, I went off to college, became the first in my family to go, went to Brown University, and obviously encountered a lot of wealth and privilege there, and people had different backgrounds and experiences. and. What was unique about me is I was incredibly tied to my hometown and to my family. And so it was easy for me to decide that I wanted to come back home to my hometown. What better place to make a difference and to make sure that other kids like me had the same opportunities that I had, uh, because it certainly wasn't the case. Great. And so right now you're running against Richard Neal, who was elected in 1989 and ran almost unopposed and as one of the more powerful Democrats right now in Congress. Just kind of wondering what kind of impediments you're facing running against a candidate like that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Richard Neal has been in Washington longer than I've been alive. And I think after 30 years in Congress, you become incredibly complacent. And when you're part of building a system and a status quo that leaves people and communities behind, it's difficult for you to have any self-reflection as to the faults of the current system. And I think that's what we find ourselves in. And I thank him for his 30 years of service, but it's not 1989 anymore. We have a whole series of new challenges, and he is completely unable to grasp the magnitude of the solutions we need for the challenges that we have. And while we've made a lot of progress on the local level here in Holyoke on housing and education and public safety, economic development and entrepreneurship, on climate change and combating the climate crisis in particular, I've also come to the realization that we can only do so much on the local level. You know, Things like climate change aren't something that stop at the borders of of my community. And so absent a strong federal partner in Congress, we're not going to get much done. And, and so yes, he has power, but he's certainly not using that power for the people in places uh, that are here in the first congressional district. He's using that power for the special and corporate interests that invest vast amounts of money 
in his campaign. And so, you know, we're not just going up against Congressman Neal, we're going up against the party establishment and, and the DC establishment. And like when I ran for mayor back in 2011, we brought our message directly to people where they're at, um, at parks and public spaces, at their doorsteps, uh, their kitchens, their living rooms, at block parties, at parades and festivals. And that's what we're going to do throughout uh, the next several months uh, on onward to victory on September 1st. So you say it's not 1989 anymore, and obviously you're, you're trying to remove sort of an established philosophy that many of these establishment Democrats have come to take for granted. What is the importance of uh, you know, primarying these establishment Democrats just to demonstrate that it is possible? And how important do you think AOC has been in sort of inspiring people to realize that you know, this can actually be achieved? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we get caught up in these unspoken rules that you don't run against other Democrats or you don't run against incumbents. And, you know, we have to you know, respect people's service and respect oftentimes means not questioning the decisions they make or the status quo. And and again, as someone that got my start in politics by running against a fellow Democrat that was an incumbent that had been around for decades, uh, the status quo was failing, you know, thousands of people here in Holyoke, and now it's it's failing tens of thousands of people here throughout Western Massachusetts. And so that's the kind of campaign we're building, of course, reaching out to people that have always participated, but also being very intentional about reaching out to those people that have just given up on the political process altogether. And, and certainly people like AOC and other new members of Congress, I think they've demonstrated that you don't have to be in Congress for 20 or 30 years to show and demonstrate immense power on changing our party and changing our country. It's those members of Congress like AOC that are demonstrating amazing power in the ways in which you know, they're voting and acting and building coalitions and inspiring millions of Americans to pay attention to politics in a new way. And so personally inspiring to me, and I know that's the case for many people around the country. So do you think that, you know, many more people have been engaging in the primary process? Members of the public have been engaging in that process much more than they have been in the past because of that new wave of progressive uh, Democrats? Yeah. And this isn't just a, yes, I'm a Democrat, but people aren't uninterested just because of the actions of Republicans. And I think both the Republican and the Democratic Party are, are part of a, of a much larger system that is influenced by, you know, money and politics, and are oftentimes scared to, to buck the party leadership. And I think it's time we have members of Congress that are unbought and are willing to to even go against members of their own party. And I think AOC and other new members of Congress have showed that there is a path to be in Washington to get things done, but at the same time not just have blind loyalty to a party, but have blind loyalty to the people that you actually represent. Right. And one of the groups that's behind this is Justice Democrats, of course, and you have recently gotten their endorsement. I was wondering if you can kind of describe the process of getting their endorsement and then also the resources that they're providing to you potentially to help you with your campaign. Yeah, no, I'm very thankful for the support of the of the Justice Democrats and the work they've done over the last couple of years to you know, support new members of Congress and and new candidates and really focus on a number of priority districts. And, you know, this district and Congressman Neal, you know, given his power as the chairperson of the Ways and Means Committee, everything that is, you know, near and dear to us, our values, you know, ending mass incarceration, you know, combating the climate crisis, um, healthcare being a human right, getting money out of politics, um, regardless of who we elect as president, and I hope it's a progressive Democrat, none of those none of those policies will be possible as long as Neil is in the position he is in. And I think that's why we have people from all over the country taking a look at this race and chipping in what they can uh, to help. Uh, Justice Democrats, I think I'm a, I'm a bit different than some of the other Justice Democrats in that I'm a incumbent elected official that has been in office for over eight years. And I think our process was having conversations about the values that I have, the, the issues I want to stand up for 
in Washington. And, you know, they took a deep look at my record over the last eight years on a whole host of issues and, and found that, you know, we can tackle issues of racial and social justice, of getting money out of politics, of being there for just everyday people on the local level. And I think the work here, and I think they identified and agreed that the work I've done here in Holyoke serves as a really powerful roadmap for what we want to do across the, across the country. And that's, you know, seeing government as a body that should look out for and, and reach out to the most vulnerable members of our communities. You talk about you know contacting with other candidates. I'm interested in how often you actually speak to other Justice Democrats, How what the coordination is like. Do you give each other tips? Is that like a, a group that you talk to each other? Once in a while, uh, candidate to candidate, mostly it's our teams communicating uh, behind the scenes on finance and on field. Justice Democrats has served as a great convener of, of campaign team members to talk about best practices and how we could work together. They've also allowed us opportunities to talk to groups like the National Nurses United to learn everything there is around Medicare for all. You know, a lot of us are, are talking about healthcare because honestly, it's the number one issue that people talk about here in, in Western Mass. And, and so we wanted to make sure that when people ask us about Medicare for all legislation, a single payer system, we have all the information, the data, the resources to make that case and talk about why it's the best healthcare system for the United States. And so Justice Democrats and other organizations have been really effective and helpful at convening spaces for all of us candidates and our teams to to get as much information as possible. And I'd like to ask some about some of the structural impediments that you're facing, um, challenging an incumbent, including, for example, the DCCC, the blacklisting um, that they've implemented, and just financially as well. Yeah, I mean, when we, it was about a year ago, we were... Um, you know, taking a look and, and considering um, launching this campaign. And of course, there were certain consultants and organizations and companies that, that we spoke to along the way that just had interest in potentially being part of this campaign, but just were very clear about the fact that they, given the fact that they do work with the DCCC and or other Democratic incumbent members of Congress, they just, despite their personal excitement about the race, just couldn't get involved out of... Um, just out of practice, given the given the policy, and I think obviously it's incredibly undemocratic of of the Democratic Party to have this policy. Uh, you know, I will say at the end of the day, we've been able to assemble a a top notch team of people, and so in that sense, I don't think it's hindered our ability to be successful and, and launch a successful campaign. But like I said before, we're not just up against Congressman Neal; we're up against a much large, a much larger infrastructure of people. In, in Washington and within the Democratic Party. And on top of that, the fact that we're funded 100% by just everyday people, we're not taking any corporate PAC money. You know, we recently announced our fundraising numbers a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, we've raised more money in six months from people here in the district than our congressman has raised in over three years and have raised 25 times the amount of donations from people here than, than he has. And so we're never going to raise the millions of dollars that Congressman Neal has. We don't want to. And most importantly, we don't need to. For us, it's just a matter of raising the resources from everyday people from here in Western Mass to around the country to just carry out our campaign plan. So looking ahead, if you get into that position in Congress, one of the main things you're going to come up against is particularly centrist party leadership. Obviously, you talk about Congressman Neal. He won't be there if you, if you if you make it into office. But have you uh, discussed with other Justice Democrats or you know with, with your team here how you go about trying to get the things done that you want to get done against a, a party leadership that might be less willing to, to yeah. yeah, and this is why every seat matters and why people say, well, why are you running against another Democrat? You know, not all Democrats are the same, and it's not just about having a Democrat there. It's having better Democrats that actually want to be there to represent real people. 
And I think where people get disillusioned and disappointed is when Democrats are in power and control the White House and, and Congress, we don't actually deliver transformational policies that make people's lives better. And and so that's a problem. And I think what we saw in 2018, electing the most diverse Congress in our country's history, I mean, the Democratic Party anyway, is that we grew the Progressive Caucus. And so in 2019, what that meant was we, for the first time, had hearings on Medicare for All in a number of House committees. That didn't happen because the Speaker of the House woke up one morning and said, I think it's a great idea to talk about Medicare for All. It happened because we had elected you know, dozens of progressives all across the country that put pressure on party leadership. And, and that's why we can't cede this fight or, or, or leave the fight to a handful of members of Congress to push the party in a certain direction. And so that's on everything from health care to you know, economic opportunities to, to fighting the climate crisis. And so there are a lot of great allies, not just new members of Congress, but, you know, members of Congress like Pramila Jayapal and Ro Khanna, uh, that I really admire, that I look forward to working with. And so I'm under no illusion that this is a fight that will be borne by, by me alone, but this is about building coalitions and building relationships with natural allies that have been doing this work for years already in Washington. And once you're, once you're in Congress, what do you think your top legislative priority would be? Well, I think I think healthcare number one is is really important to to address. Just the heartbreaking stories we've heard throughout the district, and these stories are all over the country. And it's an opportunity for me as a member of Congress as well to be very specific to the challenges here in Western Mass, particularly in the rural parts of our district. Hospitals closing, people unable to get inpatient care, people unable to find a primary care provider, you name it. I mean, unable to find a detox bed if if they want to find treatment for opioid abuse um, in our community. And so people are really feeling that um, on a daily basis. And it's not about having health insurance or not. The vast majority of people who have health insurance are still underinsured and just still can't afford out-of-pocket expenses. I think that's important. I think making sure all people have access to economic opportunity and innovation, the ability to start their own business and, and be entrepreneurs is something that is important here in Western Mass. And that's from people here in Holyoke and Springfield to small farmers, for example, in the Hilltowns or in the rural parts of our district. And then issues like transportation and infrastructure, you know, people unable to get to work, people unable to, to get to a doctor's appointment. We have unreliable transportation here. And then access to technology, things like broadband internet. We have dozens of cities and towns here in the district where people just can't get online. And so that migrates people to the urban areas of our district and shrinks population here in Western Mass, which has you know, big implications for, um, for funding for, for our priorities. Moving on now, I'd like to turn to the Green New Deal. Um, it's now one of the top priorities of this new insurgent wing of the Democratic Party, and many progressive candidates have publicly endorsed the resolution laid out by AOC and Senator Ed Markey. Could you tell us your position on that and how such a transformation would benefit your constituency here in Holyoke? Yeah, well, first I would say a couple of things about the contrast between the incumbent and, and myself, I mean, Congressman Neal is the only one of the nine congressional Democrats in Massachusetts that refuses to sign on to the Green New Deal. And more important than that, we, in 2020, Congressman Neal was the chief negotiator and architect of the USMCA, NAFTA 2.0, that every environmental organization around the country has come out against because of its failure to grasp the climate crisis. In 2020, for a Democrat in leadership to negotiate a trade agreement that doesn't even mention climate change or the word climate, I think is incredibly unacceptable. 
And so time and time again, I think he fails to grasp the climate crisis and the actions necessary to combat it. And these arguments that natural gas should be a bridge to renewable is an argument that he and others have been making for 30 or 40 years and have actually never gotten to the fact that, well, the bridge is over, the climate crisis is here, and now we need bold action. I mean, here in Western Mass, we've already seen the impact of climate-related disasters impacting migration to inland areas. And so we have a large Puerto Rican population in Holyoke and Springfield. We saw upwards of 3,000 Puerto Ricans migrate to Holyoke after Hurricane Maria in 2017. Those disasters will continue to happen absent drastic changes um, to, to combat the crisis and more uh, inland migration from the coastal areas of our country. We see what's happening in California. We see what's happening in Australia. And so as a, as a world, we need to do everything we can to combat that. And I've been really inspired by folks younger than me that have been holding elected officials accountable in, in both the Republican and Democratic Party, including our very own member of Congress, and then even just talking to small farmers, I did two farmers forums the last couple of days, and it's top of mind for people in terms of our climate and their ability to, you know, to be successful farmers and successful business owners and provide for their community and the farmers markets and the and the local, um, you know, shops or whatnot, but also provide for themselves and their families. And and so this is something I think is incredibly important. And how do we make it specific to regions like Western Mass? I think when you say things like Green New Deal and even Medicare for All. People sometimes don't understand what that means, and our campaign wants to be as specific as possible to paint a picture of what would life be like here in Western Mass and for you if we actually deliver a Green New Deal and deliver policies like Medicare for All. So another of the things that you've focused on in your political career so far has been the legalization of marijuana. Mm. We've already seen the campaign of Bernie Sanders bring that to the forefront of people's consciousness. Are you hopeful of achieving federal action on that issue when you get into Congress? Yeah, no, that, that's exciting for me. And this has been one of the issues that I've become most passionate about. As mayor, I was the first and the only mayor back in 2016 to support the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana. I mean, first and foremost, the war on drugs has disproportionately affected black and brown folks in this country. And unfortunately, legalization in Massachusetts hasn't necessarily benefited those communities most harmed by prohibition. And we still have a, a lot of barriers to access um, in terms of allowing people to build wealth in that industry. And unfortunately, what is happening, not just here in Massachusetts, but around the country in states that legalize is oftentimes it's, you know, those, those corporations and those people that already have the most financial resources that come into a state that legalizes and, you know, make money off of the industry at the very time people are still sitting in jail for the very things people are now making money off of. And we certainly need legalization nationally. And there just simply isn't enough, aren't enough uh, members of Congress that have made drug policy reform and sensible drug policy reform or priority. And this is something I really want to focus on in Washington. And, and I would be excited about the prospect of a president that would take executive action to legalize it. But we can't legalize uh, marijuana without simultaneously expunging the records of people that have been locked up, arrested, and negatively harmed by those laws in the first place. Okay, and final question before we wrap up. Another thing I've noticed you talk about a lot is the decriminalization of sex work. That hasn't been something that's been on the agenda of many leading Democrats recently, even progressive ones. Is that something you'll be pushing to introduce into the public discourse once you enter Congress? Yeah, I think it needs to. I think it's finally becoming part of the public discourse to some extent, certainly not at the level that I think the topic deserves. I know members of Congress, Congresswoman Presley and, and other members have talked about specific legislation that would that would move the needle on this issue. I think it's at least necessary that we as a country research as to how policies like this have impacted 
um, people's lives in in other countries around the world. And you know, I think about this as I as I think about the you know decriminalizing you know marijuana, for example, or harm reduction programs, for example. And too often we criminalize people's behaviors without regard to their economic situation. And so, how do how does how does this policy fit into a larger set of policies? that actually meet people where they're at and allow them to get the help that they need and to become economically independent. Thank you for listening to this Our Voices podcast from Open Democracy. If you enjoyed this podcast and would encourage others to listen, head to iTunes, subscribe and leave us a review. Open Democracy is an independent global media platform that is only possible because of your kind donations. To find out more or to make a donation, head to opendemocracy.net.